<clears throat> Good morning. Welcome to Mac. My name is Mark. I'm uh, one of the guys on staff here. And if we have never had a uh, chance to meet, uh, I'd like to extend an invitation for us to get to know each other. If you go out these doors as you're leaving after our assembly this morning, there is a green wall off to the, uh, to the right. It says, welcome, we're glad you're here. I'll be standing by that green wall. I would love for you to come by, introduce yourself. I'll introduce myself. Uh, you might have some questions about our church, uh, what we believe about God. Uh, you might have questions about baptism or prayer or just questions about, about me. You know, and I'll be glad to answer them as best I can. But let's take an opportunity, you know, while we're all here today, to make sure that we have a chance to meet each other. Secondly, I would invite you to pull out the outline and the MPG that's in your bulletin. Uh, if you open it up, it'll be uh, just a, a loose leaf in there. You can pull it out. On one side, it says MPG. Uh, we are a church that really believes in the power of the Word of God. And not just that it is a word from God, but it is a word to us that shapes our lives. And that involves us putting that word in our heart. And there's an M for memorize. We'll have a scripture for you to memorize. The P is to pray. And there is a prayer exercise in here that pertains to what I'm going to be talking about this morning, which is ironically on prayer. And then the G stands for glorify. There are just things that, that you know, the, the Christian faith is not just about what you think and not just about what you believe. It's about what you become. And it, 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 it's, you know, the one thing, the only thing really that you're going to take into eternity is you and your character. And uh, of all of the things that, that God gives us, the thing that we give back to him, the thing that matters most to him is the character of Christ that is developed in us. And that's why we do this. And this is why we press our mind into the Word of God. Now, um, we are, as I mentioned a minute earlier, we're in a series on prayer. And we're going to be finishing it up today. And the challenge, though, uh, one more time, the challenge before us in this sermon series is found in something that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, it's just two words, but two of the most challenging words that you're going to find in the Bible, and they go like this. They're up here on the screen. Say them with me. Pray. Pray continually, right? Pray continually. There was a guy that lived uh, many, many, many years ago. He was known as Brother Lawrence. He wrote these words. There is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful than that of continual conversation with God. Those only can comprehend it who practice and experience it. Brother Lawrence is really famous for a line that you've heard me use a couple of times uh, over the years. Uh, he, there was a book with this title, and it's kind of become, in the area of spiritual formation, it's kind of become a very well-known phrase. And the phrase is, the idea as a disciple of Jesus, we are practicing the presence of God wherever we go, whatever we do, with whomever we are with. We are practicing the presence of God, that we're always in the presence of God. That when it comes to the reality of walking the earth with God as disciples of Jesus, we are always with Him. And so here is how we've been defining prayer as this, from this kind of perspective through this series, and it's this way. Prayer is God's invitation to continually invite Him every day into our every experience. 
Prayer is not just something that you do at set times during the day, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's a very good thing to do. It's a discipline. It's a practice. It's a habit. But prayer is God's invitation. The very fact that we can pray, God is inviting us, human beings, to continually invite Him, God, every day, every minute of every day into our every experience. Now, to move us forward in this challenge in a very practical way, there are three words representing three prayers that we pray sometimes multiple times each day. The first one is the word help. We pray help. This is the prayer of life in the valley of the shadow of death. Dallas Willard has said something that I just think is incredibly easy to memorize, but it just kind of hits you as as this great truth of, of God the Father, the reality of God, and it's this that God's address is at the end of your rope where you want to say help and God is there and God hears. The second word is thanks. So first word help, second word thanks. This is the spontaneous prayer that recognizes every good and perfect gift comes from God the Father. That's James chapter 1 verses 16 and 17. It's where we say in the middle of the day, you know, thank you for this day, or thank you for this meal, or thank you for this home, or thank you for this family, or for this church, or for my job, or that I dodged a bullet today. So we pray help, we pray thanks, and this morning as we end the series, we're going to talk about the prayer that is the wow, the wow prayer. This is the prayer for those grace-saturated times when we become aware and, and are overwhelmed by the beauty of of God's love, uh, the beauty of God's presence, the beauty of God's grace, the the, the beauty of God's forgiveness and mercy, the the beauty of, of God coming near to us. And so throughout the days, praying continually, what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we pray help and thanks and wow. The, the world, to live as a disciple of Jesus, is to live in a life where there is a world that is full of wow. Every day there is an opportunity for us to see something that just stops us in our tracks. Psalm 66, the psalmist says, Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. Every day we say to God, your deeds are awesome. And a lot of times we can, uh, you know, uh, uh, enumerate them and just go down a list of all of the ways that God's deeds, God's work, God coming near to us is just absolutely awesome. And we say, wow. Um, Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verses 20 and 21, we say, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, According to his power that is in work with us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and ever. And all the church said, I mean, there's every day God is doing immeasurably more than we can imagine. And more than we ask, but more than we can even imagine. Wow is what we say when our mind has been blown. There's something in front of us, and it just stops us in our tracks, and we've become speechless, but not quite all the way speechless, and all we can get out is one word. Wow. Now, there are the lowercase wows, 
when things in life are not all that pretty or not all that encouraging. Uh, I got on a plane yesterday afternoon, come back to San Antonio, and uh, had carry-on luggage. And I opened up the overhead bin and was putting the luggage up in there and was you know, trying to get this suitcase to fit in this little space. And this young woman said, sir, can I help you? <laughs> and I said, wow, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> sure, help yourself. <laughs> But then there are those moments when two cars in front of you collide on Highway 281. And you go, wow. Or when our friend, our good friend, tells us about their divorce or an addiction or um, a, a fear or a loss. And in our heart of hearts, we're going, wow, wow. When we see something like flagrant racism right in front of our eyes or when we see somebody being just absolutely mean, hostile, cruel to another person. It could be on the workplace, it could be in the neighborhood, it could be at the school. We say, wow. When the Twin Towers fell after planes full of passengers flew into them, what did you say? Wow. Wow. We say, wow. But then there are those uppercase wows in life where we become so mesmerized by the beautiful wonderful and near miraculous that wow just seems to be about the biggest word to describe it so you know some years ago back um, when i was in my 20s this is back in the 1980s i was uh, one morning surfing off the coast of san diego a little town called del mar about 150 yards uh, i know what most i can see it in your faces yeah <laughs> you were surfing and I, yeah, 20, you know, like 40 years ago, you know. <laughs> so I'm offshore about 150 yards, and it's early, early in the morning, and the sun's coming up in the east, and I'm looking, you know, in the east, and the sun's coming up over the Palisades. And there's these, um, these succulents along the side of the, coming down the Palisades, and, you know, there's formica in the water in, in Southern California, and the sun's coming up, and it hits that formica in the water. It's just shimmering. And I'm just thinking to myself, this is absolutely one of the most beautiful moments in my life. Wow, what a, thank you God for this moment. How beautiful is that? And I'm just sitting there, and the next thing you know, true story, a fin comes right up out of the water. And my life, you know they say that your life literally flashes before your eyes? That's true. That really happens. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know I, I don't say help. What I'm about to do is turn to my friend who is, you know, a few yards uh, to my left. And I'm, 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 I'm going to say shark. And before I can say shark, I realize that it's not a shark, but I got in the way of a bunch of dolphins who were trying to go that direction. And so I wanted to say, wow, and then I wanted to say, help, and then I said, thanks, because it's not a shark. <laughs> and and the, the true story, and then the dolphins began to go like this out of the water on either side of me. I mean, I could have reached out and touched them. And you know what I said? What did I say? I said, wow, absolutely amazing. When we experience awe, our prayers are filled with wow. 
When we experience awe, church, our prayers are filled with wow. And what I'm talking about are these uppercase wow moments. These are an absolutely good thing and essential thing. Wow is the awareness of God in the world. That God is nearby, that God is right beside us, that God made us, that God loves us, that God has and always will forgive us. That God is in control, even when it seems like dark forces are calling the shots on earth. The psalmist says, let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Wow! It's seeing God in all the wonder and the beauty in His creation and being reminded that whatever human being thinks that they're in control of things, that person is lying to themselves or deluded or naive or something. It's God that's in control of everything. And even when it seems dark and it seems like the walls are kind of closing in, that moment of awe, that moment of wow is a reminder that there is something bigger than us that's in control of everything. Uh, Psalm 65, going back to nature, the psalmist says the whole earth is filled with with awe at your what? Wonders. Where morning dawns, where evening fades, between the morning and the evening, you call forth songs of joy. There's a book that uh, was written not too long ago called Character, Strength, and Virtues by Christopher Peterson and Marty Seligman. Uh, they write these words I want to share with you. They're up here on the screen. Appreciation of beauty and excellence refers to the ability to find, recognize, and take pleasure in the existence of goodness in the physical and social worlds. A person high on this strength frequently feels awe and related emotions, including admiration, wonder, elevation, and wow. A person low on this strength goes about daily life as if wearing blinders to that which is beautiful and moving. A person low on this strength goes about daily life as if wearing blinders to that which is beautiful and moving. Is it possible that there are days when you and I are walking the earth with blinders on to the presence of God. Well, I'm going to tell you that if these blinders get removed, we we intentionally remove these blinders, seeing remarkable things is not just possible, but it is what begins to happen in your everyday. Which now brings us to Matthew chapter 17. Uh, Gabriel read the Mark version of it. Uh, Seth just wrote the Matthew 17 version of it. It's about the transfiguration of Jesus. In Matthew 17, we have a story in the Bible that is like no other story in the Bible. That transfiguration, and in that transfiguration story, I want us to see three things very quickly. The wow moment. This is a moment unlike any other moment. It it is um, a, a definition, or it is a manifestation of the wow of Christ and our response to that wow moment. So let's begin with the, the wow moment itself, the transfiguration. 
Now the transfiguration that happens on this mountain, and we're not really sure where the mountain is. There's a lot of mountains like Mount Hermon and others that have, have been suggested. Nobody really knows for sure. We just know that it was in a high place. Jesus had been up in the north near Caesarea Philippi, north of the Sea of Galilee. But it's six days later. He could have traveled anywhere. Most commentators think he's still somewhere up in the north. But there is, to this event, there is this historical context. In the Hebrew Scriptures, there was a cloud of glory. There was a cloud of glory that led the people out of slavery in Egypt to the Promised Land in the book of Exodus. During the day, it looked like a cloud that was moving, and at night, it looked like a pillar of fire. And when they leave Egypt, they they go through the Sinai Peninsula, they end up at Mount Sinai, where that cloud begins to rest on the top of the mountain. And here is the description from Exodus chapter 19. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning. Now remember, we're at a mountain, and there's this cloud and this, this glorious presence. You know, God at the top of this mountain. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone, everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled, what? Violently. Now just early in the chapter, really just a couple of verses earlier than this, The Lord has instructed Moses to put limits or boundaries around the mountain because if anyone touched the mountain, what would happen? They would die, right? God's glory was not to be trifled with. God's great glory was not to be trifled with, not because it's sinister, but because it is deadly to sin and to all that is unholy. Even Moses himself up on top of that mountain, was not allowed to see inside God's glory under threat of death. And this is why God put him in the cleft of the rock, to protect him from this incredible glory. Years later, the Messiah, that is Jesus, is bringing the kingdom of God into people's lives. And, you know, he's doing all kinds of miracles. He's teaching. People are following him. He's feeding the multitudes. But at this particular time, as he is, you know, he's been beginning to talk to his disciples about the fact that, yes, he is the Messiah, but he's not the Messiah you dream about. I am the Messiah that dies on a cross. I'm the Messiah that's going to be humiliated. I am the Messiah who is not going to look like a king or a Messiah in any way that you imagine. And he says to them, I'm going to be mocked and betrayed and spat upon. I'm going to be beaten and I'm going to be handed over to my enemies. I'm going to be crucified. And they struggle with that. And at this moment in Jesus' ministry, the, the, the situation is getting darker and darker and more ominous for him, more grim for him. And six days or so after they are in the region of Caesarea Philippi, uh, Jesus takes Peter and James and John and they go up on this mountain where all of this takes place. And in verse 3, Moses and Elijah are there. And then in verse 5, there's the voice of God. I mean, this is not uh, an ordinary day in the life of Peter, Andrew, and John. This is a spectacular day. And then verse 2. 
There he was transfigured. The Greek word is metamorphosis. There he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. Just, what was it, last Saturday we had the ring of fire? Can you imagine, you know, the sun? I mean, you can't look at the sun without going blind or damaging your eyes unless you have like a couple of, you, you know, I'm, I'm like you. I had the NASA certified ring of fire glasses, $5, right? <laughs> right? I mean, I mean you, you're trying to look, and you can't see. I mean, you're trying to look even with sunglasses, and you can't look at it. The sun is absolutely so bright. And up on this mountainside, Jesus is transfigured and his face became as bright, it shone like the sun, and his clothes even became as white as the light. That word transfigured again is the word metamorphosis, which means that what is at the core of your being is what becomes visible. What is at the core, what is true of your nature, of your character, who you are at the very center is what becomes visible. Um, it's, it's, you know, a caterpillar who really on the inside, and, but not through, uh, until metamorphosis, does that monarch, beautiful monarch butterfly come out. Now, one of the commentators writes that the contrast between Christ's glorious reality in this moment, in light of the reality of the cross, the moment Gabe talked about it this morning, the, the reality of the transfiguration with the reality of the cross would lead many of his disciples to marvel at his self-humiliation. That's why Paul calls it in Philippians chapter 2 a kenosis or an emptying out in order to become like us. But back on that mountain, just imagine. Peter, James, and John are right in the middle of the biggest wow moment that they can imagine. The glory of God is emanating from a person. And they see it with their own eyes. The blinders are off and they see Christ in a way that they have never seen him before. Which is kind of amazing when you think about it because they are his intimate friends and they have seen him in all kinds of circumstances. They have seen him raise people from the dead. They've seen him you know, walk on water. They've seen him feed multitudes. They've just seen him heal the, the, the lepers and bring immediate healing to those that were blind and, and, and those that couldn't walk and those that were deaf. They have been his intimate friends and have seen him in all kinds of circumstances, but they see him in this moment as he truly is, and it is the big W, big O, big W, exclamation point. It is wow. Now think about this just for a second. When we return to Sinai in Exodus chapter 34, when Moses is coming down from the glory-covered top of the mountain, he's gotten the Ten Commandments and all these kinds of things. When he comes down... His face from being in the, the Shekinah or the glory of God, when he would come down off of the mountain, he would shine. His face would shine and glow and radiate. But it was like the moon reflecting the light of the sun. In this moment, Jesus is the sun. So what does that mean? Well, let's, let's, let's talk about the wow of Christ. We're in this wow moment. What about the wow of Christ? The moment is so glorious and so mindful of what they have been, you know, their history in the past in Mount Sinai, all these kinds of things. This moment is so glorious that it becomes dangerous and scary for them. 
In fact, Mark's gospel says that Peter can't even think straight. He is, you know, he is so shaken by this, and they were f- absolutely over the top frightened. And he says in Matthew chapter 17, going from Mark back to Matthew's account, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three skenas, or three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He wants to build shelters or little tabernacles in this moment. Odd. The Old Testament temple, though, the tabernacle, had been a safe place to interact with the glory of God. The tabernacle and the temple were the place where heaven and earth came together and the glory of God came into that holy of holies. And it was a, 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 a protection from the deadly glory of God. You know, we, we talk about these stories of the priests going into the Holy of Holies and there was a fear that they might die in the presence of the glory of God. And so there was always a rope tied to them to drag them out in case that's the very thing that happened. And right now, Pete, that's what Peter feels like he needs to do. He is petrified, terrified. He's now wanting to build a shelter or a tabernacle for Jesus, Elijah, and Moses, but not for him or James, or, or excuse me, Andrew or John, because he is frightened. And at that very moment, a cloud comes down on them, and God speaks and says, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. And this is all too much for Peter, James, and John, and they fall on their face. They are terrified that they are about to die. And with their face buried in the dirt, there's a tap on the shoulder. They look up, and everything's gone. It's back to normal, and only Jesus is there. Now, what are they supposed to take away from something like that? They are getting an eyeful of the true identity of Jesus. The Hebrew writer in chapter 1, verse 3 says this, The Son is the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of His being. In other words, Christ is the utmost expression of the wow of God because He is God. Jesus is not one more person like a Moses or Elijah that is pointing to God. He is God. So what is our response to Jesus, our Messiah, who is born in a manger and crucified on a cross, but resurrected and is transfigured like this when his core identity is seen by human eyes? Two things, and we're done. The first is obedience. The first is obedience. Verse 5, the voice of God says, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Say the next three words. Listen. Him. You know, a lot of us, when it comes to Jesus, I mean, we just, we've become so familiar, so familiar, so familiar, that Jesus actually kind of becomes our concierge in life. Right? Jesus is the one that I go to when I need something, when I, when I need some help, when I need to get a good grade on a, a, a test. He's who I go to when I need a job or I need a promotion or I need a, a wife or you know, a husband. He becomes our partner. He becomes our concierge. He becomes somebody that walks alongside of us in terms of get, you know, to help us along our journey by giving us whatever we want. No, He is God. And He tells us to pick up our cross and follow Him 
And if you do not pick up your cross, that means die to self so that He can be Lord in your life and transform you into a new person, then you cannot be His disciple. N.T. Wright, in a book called For All God's Worth, which is actually a book on worship, writes these words. How can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human? That the fire has become flesh? That life itself came to life and walked in our midst? Christianity either means that or it means nothing. It is either the more devastating disclosure of the deepest reality in the world or it is a sham, a nonsense a, a bit of deceitful play-acting. Most of us, unable to cope with saying either of those things, condemn ourselves to live in the shallow world in between. If Jesus is God, then He is not somebody to bargain with. He is somebody who commands our life. In fact, if He's God, we look at God, we look at Jesus and we say, you know what, as a human being, you were not only the best human being, but the smartest human being and, and, and the, most, the, the most wise human being. I mean, you know more than anybody else how to live life. And therefore, we obey Him, not because it's rules that get us into heaven, but because He has brought us into heaven and He's revealed Himself as our King and Messiah and our Savior, the one that's going to share His resurrection with us. We obey Him because He knows the way to live. And then the second thing, and it'll be the last point, is to worship. You know, one of the things that's just stunning to me, and I, you know, it's kind of a lowercase wow for me, is when I hear somebody say that the church experience or the God experience is boring. That worship is boring. That that boggles my mind because Christ is the ultimate beauty and He is not boring. I mean, every day you walk the earth with the one that created everything. And sure, it is broken and there are some dark moments and some dark days and there are some tragedies and there's a lot of things that nobody, myself, no one else, the smartest person you know, smartest human you know, you know could ever explain. But God God is not boring. He is powerful and wise and loving. And we see evidence of this every day around us. And the evidence for disciples of Jesus is that Holy Spirit that is put into our heart, pouring God's love into our heart every day and testifying to our heart and to our mind that we are the children of God. The glory that Jesus manifested on the Mount of Transfiguration is the glory that He gave up when He walked into Jerusalem and then was betrayed and taken to Caiaphas' house and then Pilate and then to a hill where He was crucified in front of everyone. He is God. And that was the message of the Transfiguration. He is not just a dude. He is God, and in becoming God, he became kill. Or uh, he is God in becoming a man. He became killable, and he dies brutally on the cross for us. And when Jesus died, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. The veil was torn because it was no longer needed. 
For Jesus himself said, I can bring them all near. In John 17, I have given them the glory. He's given us the glory that you gave to me. So, that one day in glory, when we see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, when we have received our resurrection bodies, and we will see each other in the resurrection in the way that we were always meant to be, and we'll look at each other, and you know, as, as C.S. Lewis says, you know, as, as, as people with the vision of grace and the vision of the resurrection, you know, we can look at each other today and know that there's this resurrection body down the road someplace, and we'll see it, and it's who we're supposed to be, and we'll say, I know it, I knew it. I just knew it from the bottom of my heart that this is the person you would always become, the person that you would be. And we stand there with each other and we stand there in the presence of God in all that glory and there's no fear and there's, there's no whiff of death and there's not a sin of cancer. And all of the things that we count as bad in this world that are just such a trouble to us and a pain and a thorn and it's brutal sometimes and it beats us into the ground sometimes but we get ourselves up because one day we know that we will see the world as it is supposed to be. God, heaven and earth come together again. Everyone the way they're supposed to be. And what will we say? Wow. In fact, let's practice it this morning. Let's say it together. One, two, three. Wow. Let's stand and sing. <laughs>